Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the creators of the new Broadway musical, The Lightning Thief. The show, based on the popular Percy Jackson series of YA novels written by Rick Riordan, took an unusual route to Broadway, starting life as a one-hour musical for TheaterWorks USA, before it proved so popular that producers and creators expanded it into a full length for an extended off-Broadway run. And now, a run on Broadway, where the show plays at the Long Anchor Theater through January 5th. Today, I'm talking to three creatives who've been with the show from the beginning. Stephen Brackett, the director of Be More Chill and the recent off-Broadway buzz magnet, A Strange Loop. Joe Trace, the book writer of Be More Chill, who also wrote for Netflix's A Series of Unfortunate Events. And Rob Rokicki, the composer-lyricist making his Broadway debut with The Lightning Thief. All three of them are here with me to talk demigods, monsters, and clearing away Broadway's barriers to entry. Hi, gentlemen. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having Hi. us. Hi. Um, I feel like, first of all, before we even start, uh, there are some listeners who might not know uh, all about theater works and quite what it does. So I wonder if we could start by talking about kind of how this project originated and what your sort of mandate was and when you first got involved. Um, so which of you was involved first? Do you know? That would be Joe. Joe. Joe? <laughs> okay. Patient zero. Joe, yes. Yeah. So tell me how... What what was the project when it came to you, and why were you interested? Yeah, you know, I had always been a fan of the Percy Jackson series. Okay. And when I discovered that uh, TheaterWorks had uh, gotten the rights to adapt the first book into a show for TheaterWorks. How, how was that a thing that you discovered? Um, was that a I, thing you were exploring? Because I was were... visiting my agent and saw a ah. copy of the book on his desk and was like, please tell me who's adapting the show, Got it. because I'll do anything to get this job. <laughs> and so I, I sort of cajoled myself to sit down with Barbara Pasternak at TheaterWorks. Right. And, you know, TheaterWorks has such a history of adapting books faithfully and respectfully and, sure. and a mission statement that, you know, of, of putting theater in front of people who wouldn't ordinarily get a chance to experience that right. quality of show. Um, and so because of that, they'd managed to get the very tricky rights to adapt The Light and right. Thief. Um, you know, uh, the movie adaptations had not been well received by right. fans True. nor by the author for being unfaithful to the tone, the story, the characters, right. the humor, etc. 
um, but uh, because of TheaterWorks uh, sort of commitment to right. respectfully adapting, um, they'd managed to sort of get the rights to do this as an hour-long touring show. Right. So an hour-long touring show. Yeah, was yeah. The original, <laughs> exactly. Was the original thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, right. And then... Uh, you know, yes. I brought on Rob, you know, realizing it was, a, you know, a 400-page fantasy novel. Right, yes. It's, you're talking big, and when you're thinking big, you're thinking musical. So, you know, I brought on Rob, who, right. uh, you know, I had known through um, his work with Joe Iconis. Um, okay, yes. Who had recommended, who said, this, I got the perfect guy for the job. Rob came in, wrote amazing songs, and, and really uh, helped make this crazy, weird, difficult show uh, come to life. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And what was your... Did you know the books? I didn't know the books. Okay. Um, I had just... You know, Joe Iconis was like, you've got to meet this guy, Joe Trace. This and how would you work with Joe Iconis, for listeners uh, for who don't years. know? For yep. years. I music directed a show for him a million years ago, and then right. we just became close friends. I mean, he sang in my wedding, I sang in his. We've just been collaborators for a long time. Right. We both write kind of rock music yep. or theater, but we try to, you know, have as much well-craftedness of kind of our schooling and education within that genre of rock music. So um, I, Joe had written, Joe Trace had written this wonderful right. play. That's what it originally had been. Right. And then I um, took it from there. And, and uh, you know, rock music is a really kind of elegant way of, because of the structure, the kind of verse chorus structure mm-hmm. of it is really helpful to um, get a lot of information out quickly for like montages and things like that. Right. It's a very helpful thing. So it, right. it was the right style for the right kind of material. Right. And then Stephen, you came aboard. So thereafter, when it uh, and so you directed it, it existed as a one-hour thing. That, yeah, there was, it, there, was were, very popular. there was a draft that I think had maybe not all of the music composed yet, but um, I got I certainly got a draft and got a couple of demos, um, uh, and um, was asked to kind of come in and pitch for the show, right. and um, the adventure genre. Yep. The, the, it was my first exposure to Percy. I hadn't really known the books before. And so in preparation for the meetings, um, uh, I read the first novel, which I was completely delighted by um, uh, and found to be like really funny and really amazing. Um, and so kind of came in to pitch for this show of how to do Percy Jackson that could kind of tour the country in a tiny van with actors and scenery. <laughs> right. And how did you think when you're right? Because it's touring the country and it's largely younger audiences. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think about. Did you think about it as gearing it towards younger audiences, or how did you think about the people who were coming to see it and writing for them? I mean, we want we wanted to make sure that we were talking to a broader audience than a younger audience. Even then, well, in the, yeah. even then, but but while understanding that as part of our demographic, right? right? Um, uh, and I would say I think that even probably the one hour version feels a little bit more aimed towards a younger audience. Mm-hmm. And when we um, were given the opportunity to change it into a two-act version is where we really got to kind of finesse and make sure that the tone was hitting from younger to older audiences. That's not to say that the one act was a kid show, right? Right, right? But I think we got to be a little bit savvier in terms of tone with the two act. Right. Yeah. One thing I love about theater works is they, you know, they never try to pander or talk down uh, to their audiences. And, you know, we were just kind of writing the show that we wanted to see. (laughs) So that was helpful. Right. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, the books are middle grade books. And yet, you know, when they came out, I was not middle grade age. You know, I think the great thing about and, and you you know, I think there's been a huge resurgence in the past 10 years of like people saying, you know, books that are, you know, written with a younger audience in mind actually speak to universal themes and 
and can, you know, you know, Percy's a fantasy novel, and yet, you know, through the use of metaphor, the idea of what it would be like if you were, if you grew up in a world ruled by, like, fickle gods right. who, you know, had sort yep. of, like, created the world and then sort of abandoned it and yep. abandoned you, and, you know, what would it be like emotionally to be trying to find your way, uh, in, you know, in the shadow of these gods and monsters? And, and that's a, you know, it's a great idea for a fantasy novel, right. but it's also uh, a metaphor for an emotional state that I think people of any age can relate to. And so when I read the books in my 20s, I loved that idea. And so when, you know, when we sat down to adapt, it was always like that emotional core in mind. Right. And I think that emotional core can speak to anyone of any age. Right. And then at what point and in what ways did it become clear that this was a, that this one, that this hour long adaptation was a thing that uh, was exciting enough and that enough people were interested in that it sort of demanded to be expanded and then, you know, taken somewhere else. What do you, do you remember a moment when it sort of dawned on you or your producer, Barbara, or, um, well, I think it had always been a dream to get to expand it. And I remember some of our first creative conversations, you know, we, we, we would have that if only, you know, because the hour long sure was really, the hour long version was really built like a roller coaster ride. You know, Percy's dropped in this crazy world of gods and monsters and never gets a chance to breathe. And, 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 you know, one of the things we'd really wanted to do but couldn't is let the story have some emotional moments where it could slow down, you know, have, you know, be less like a roller coaster ride and more like the entire theme park, um, you know, with the whole spectrum of, of emotions, you know, from every character in the journey. And there was always a glimmer, I think, from the get-go that we knew that this was an amazing property to be working on. And just we because knew, it was already so popular. Just because it was already going so, into it. so yeah, popular. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that there was sort of an unspoken, if we do this in the right way, maybe there might be something beyond the theater works tour. Although we would have been content if that that's yeah. all that there was, right? right? Um, uh, but certainly I think going into the project, we knew that it had a fan base that we wanted to speak to. We also knew that we would be introducing it to other people. And so for me, there was always a little glimmer of a hope that there would be some sort of life for it after it went out on tour. And so when we got the call to turn it into a two-act, it wasn't like an out-of-the-blue surprise, but it was a really great reward. And did you know exactly what you, how you would do it? How hard was it to get to jam everything into one it, hour? And, and I mean, the, jamming everything into a one hour was really complicated. Yeah. And we definitely felt like we had to kind of skim over a couple of things. It, making it into a two-act structure, we actually yeah. went down a slightly different path of thinking, oh, we get to cram more adventure into it. Right. Um, uh, and we actually sort of had to go down that path to actually realize that what we needed to double down on was the heart and the stake and the, the kind of circumstances of the show. And so that was a really amazing opportunity for us to kind of figure out what the sweet spot of what a two-act could actually contain for us. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, we really broke it apart. There's only a couple core songs that kept in both versions. They're actually the, some of the very first songs I wrote mm. for when I was trying to get the job as a demo, but there, I think now we're up to 28 songs that have been cut between the two versions, something right. like that. It's, it was a lot. It was kind of reinventing a lot of moments and, and kind of, yeah, like Stephen was saying, giving some, uh, some weight to these, these decisions that our characters are going through and let them kind of breathe for a second. It was really amazing. I think with the prompt of the two-act structure, Rob wrote two of the standout songs for the show. His first songs that he came back with were Good Kid for Percy mm -hmm. and um, My Grand Plan for Annabeth. And those are two real cornerstones of the show now. 
And so it's it's actually funny to kind of go back and be like, oh, right, we did a version of the show without those <laughs> two yeah. right. fundamental anchors of the show. And what is it about this song? Tell, tell me about this song for people who haven't seen it yet. Tell us about the songs and uh, what, what, well, they, what they accomplish. Well, uh, good kid. This is Percy. He's been kicked. He's kicked out of school continuously and, and uh, no one ever kind of believes in him. And, and I feel like as an artist, we all feel like... <laughs> Ah, slamming your head against the wall until something takes. So I really was like, uh, I could relate a lot to it. And and so this is like a breaking point for his character where he finally kind of just like unleashes all this bottled up emotion of losing his mother, of of being thrust into these new environments, of having no father figure, of having no one trusting him or believing in him. And it's this kind of explosion where at the very end he realizes if I believe in myself, that's all that matters. And and I think that's a, a kind of a, a powerful takeaway for, for uh, young people or any people to be like, you have the agency within yourself. You don't need approval from anyone else. Um, and then the um, second song, My Grand Plan, is Annabeth's song. And Annabeth's my favorite character. She's incredibly smart and very capable, but, uh, you know, she's... Uh, attractive and that is something that people put uh you know uh, they they perceive her in in different ways because of that so you know she she's constantly kind of um undervalued uh especially for her intelligence um and she's brave and she's uh you know incredibly capable so she has this song where she kind of explains her mo to percy um of of the kinds of battles she's had to fight of, of being ignored both because of her gender and, and because of her, her kind of status within the camp, within the world, even from her own mother. Um, so these are kind of like songs that ground the characters a bit more, that give them a little bit more heft. And these were not in the original. They were in not the, in the original the version. Okay, no, got it. Neither of those. So, we so didn't have stuff time like for that. that yeah, yeah. They were too busy trying to save the yeah. world. <laughs> well, that sort of leads into my next question. As you have alluded to, this is... An, you've used words like adventure and fantasy and there are monsters and it is theater. Um, so how, how do you do that? How do you, how did you think about, Oh gosh, there sure is a harpy, right? It's a harpy, that monster. Yeah. Um, it's a that, fury. That, uh, oh, it's a fury. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's the difference? <laughs> there, there is a difference actually. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there are monsters is the point. And that's one of uh, several monsters uh, in the show. What, how, I guess this is a question for Stephen in particular, but how did all of you imagine making all that stuff happen? Like a bus blows up, you know, like stuff happens. Yeah, I mean, from from the get-go, we knew that that this would be a show that capitalized on limitations, right? Mm. Um, part by necessity. We we built it in right. first to, as we said, tour in a tiny yeah. little band, yeah. right? right. Um, where the actors had to set it up and strike it at right. every show, right? Aww. And so, God bless those beautiful actors. <laughs> um, uh, and so we started from that limitation, but actually that limitation was a real blessing in many ways because it put the primary on invention, right? And it put the primary on... Um, making spectacular events unfold with the audience's imagination, right? So even though you're showing something that is like a roll of toilet paper, right, the right. audience can fill in the blanks and see a tidal wave, right? So it became about a different type of theater that's not about feeding the audience spectacle, but about tapping into their creativity and their imagination to ask them to participate in imagining the spectacle around them. Um, uh, and that was so much a part of my um, 
uh, relationship with the books, right, is that the language is so descriptive in such a glorious way that your mind did the best job of making all of these environments. So we tried to um, kind of suggest these places with minimal lights and scenery and a couple little puppetry effects and some um, costume visuals from the show, um, but they're merely suggesting something for an audience to fully realize. And what was it as you approached this? But this is a question for all of you. Joe, you started to talk about sort of what you really responded to in the books. What was it in the books in particular that you felt like this theater adaptation really has to capture? What was the the heart of it that you really had to grab? You know, I think when, when you re- so you know Percy and all the characters are half bloods. They're half god, half mortal. They're the abandoned kids of the Greek gods who are still around, right. still having kids with mortals. Right. And you know what they do? They like t- they abandon those mortals as soon as the kids conceived. And these, you know, you have a whole group of kids who grow up uh, not knowing their parents and discovering that the reason they have these strange powers and weird things that happen to them is because they are the neglected children of the, right. of the Greek gods. Right. So, um, you know, but the the heart of the books is this place called Camp Half-Blood where they can go and be with people who have the same issues, the same, you know, challenges um, and the same joys that they do. And And when you read the books, it's like you want to go to that place. You know, and so I always felt like I wanted to create a show that felt like it invited the audience into that community. You know, and you see the movies, and you know, a movie can ha- can you know use special effects to realize a centaur, you know, or, or or a minotaur, and and yet, you know, if it doesn't make you feel like you walk out of the theater feeling like you were, went to Camp Half Blood, then it hasn't told the story of Percy Jackson and that idea that we're all looking for that place where um, we can be with people who understand us who um, know uh, what, we've been, what we've gone through and who can inspire us to try to find our way in the world. You know, I think you know, if people leave the show having feel like they've visited that place and they're carrying it with them, to me, that's, you know, that's what you want to take away. And what have you all found that uh, the telling the story in theater maybe adds to the story or brings out in the story that maybe you didn't expect uh, from just reading it as a novel? There's a lot of humor in it. And I think, you know, these are characters, I think because the stakes are so high, um, you know, these are kids from broken homes with not a lot of uh, resources. And the the kind of punk aesthetic of it all, of how we tell the story and the adventure of it all is, is so fun and a little subversive in some ways. And I think like that spirit, that energy is, is like, uh, electric in the theater you really feel it um, from the audience they just go on board with you right. so the humor is really a, a part of that too it's really fun yeah um, I, I, speaking to that I think about the Muppet Babies a lot when I when I watch our show because um, at least I have memories of the Muppet Babies of like not of, of playing to both two audiences right playing to a younger audience, but having gems in there for an, uh, for an older right, kind right, of parent right. audience. And that is really, I mean, you can really tell um, uh, on the days where we're like flooded with kids, the responses are different, right? right. But on the nights where we have a larger adult audience, the response is still there, but they're just laughing to different jokes, right? right. And on the perfect show, you get the balance of both right. of them, right? And so feeling that vibe is really rewarding right Mm -hmm. in terms of um uh, feeling the different types of laughs and responses that we get um make me understand how the show is working in different ways 
what lessons did you learn off Broadway that uh, you are using to kind of shape what you're doing on Broadway with the show? Well, just the kind of the spirit of just throwing everything at the wall. I mean, you know, Stephen comes from this amazing background of doing these kind of impossible plays, you know, and and, and Joe comes from this world of, of fantasy and sci-fi. And, and I think, like, it's it's so thrilling and, you know, terrifying to try to achieve that on a stage. So you just try to throw whatever you can. And you have freedom off-Broadway to try things and, and freedom to fail. And so when things work, it's thrilling. And you try to take that same kind of, essence of play that Stephen also uses in the in the rehearsal room with the actors uh, you know there's seven actors playing like something like 47 characters yeah and we use that that sense of play that sense of fun with real stakes and 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 try to retain that as much as we can regardless of the theater size um i imagine uh, if i'm not mistaken a lot of those actors are making their broadway debut uh with the show as, nine out of nine ten, out of 10. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, as is your composer uh there's just right here. Uh, how's that feel, Rob? Uh, it's incredible. I mean, I never thought this would be the path. I was right. an actor. You know, they've heard this story a million times. But I, I was up for a Broadway. I had booked a Broadway show as an actor. Uh, but then, uh, unfortunately, like many things happen, it, it closed the week er, we, before we got our first rehearsal. <laughs> um, so that was a bummer. Um, what show was that? It was called Pump Boys and Dinettes. Oh, okay, yeah. And Doyle was directing it. I learned accordion. So now I know accordion. Well, all right. Yeah. Comes in handy sometimes at <laughs> parties. Yeah. Um, where's, where's the accordion track in our show? I know. Yeah. Well, we have yeah. a lot of code. Yeah, oh, we did. Yeah. Oh, just kind of do. Right? No, so I, I was kind of uh, floundering a bit as an artist, and so the show fell in my lap in the perfect time to, like, um, to focus all of this kind of energy I had and all the angst it fit really well with these, you know, angsty teens <laughs> over the next couple of years. So it, it's so strange and wonderful that that path has taken me to Broadway in this way. Um, and I love our scrappy, wonderful, weird little show that, that we get to tell that story on a Broadway stage. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and Stephen and Joe, you guys recently made your Broadway debuts. Um, it uh, with Be More Chill. What what is um. <clears throat> What did the experience of Be More Chill uh, bring to your understanding of what you wanted to do with the Lightning Thief? That's a good question. And it's a, <laughs> you know, it's any any time I write something, I'm never thinking about where the destination of it will be. You know, uh, you're sort of focused on making the thing. And, and for me, it's about, you know, is this a story I really want to tell and really want to put out in the world? Especially for an adaptation, is this something that I feel like has something to say when you take it from one medium to another? Um, so I didn't approach, I approached Lightning Thief the same way I approached Be More Chill, which is I'm writing something that I feel passionate about that I want to put in front of people and was very lucky with both of those shows to get to continually expand the audience, you know, as people responded and responded, you know, in, in such a wave that, you know, it offered a, a door opening for the next stage of its life. So, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's... <laughs> It's been a, but it's been a wild year. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I haven't yeah. had a chance to process it yet. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, certainly both shows have been like, have feel like in an amazing way, they've kind of like snuck their way into Broadway, yeah. right? Yep. In a way that makes, makes it feel like there's a little bit of like a renegade kind of spirit to both of those that I think is a celebration, right? Um, uh, certainly with both shows, it's been amazing to see... Um, those shows fire with that kind of audience, right? Um, uh, 
And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the dream of the platform for which you build theater, right? And we have built something that has amassed untraditional audiences, right? And audiences who are hungry for this content. And so being able to um, uh, do that and, and I say like open our doors as wide as possible, um, that's been the thing that we've, I've thought about with both shows is how do you, how do you make this fire um, with as many different diverse audience um, members as possible. Do you feel like, this is a question for uh, any of you, do you feel like there are things Broadway could be doing to kind of open its doors a little wider to these audiences who maybe haven't, uh, like I imagine a number of like the more chill uh, crowd, for instance, hadn't been to a Broadway show yet? And like what, what, what do you feel like some of the obstacles are and how could we think about removing them? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of the obstacles are about commerce or about... Um, uh, how expensive it is to present something on Broadway and what that necessitates for ticket prices. Um, uh, I think that that is a challenge that the theater industry has been trying to deal with, but is such a difficult um, uh, challenge. And, and there isn't a really easy way to start chipping away at that, apart from figuring out how to offer cheap seats, right? Um, uh you know, I'm proud of our producers that they figured out a way that was viable for them to produce this on a limited run. Um, uh, and that feels like some savvy from our producers who say this deserves to be on that stage. There's a space for this. Um, uh, and we can do it for this amount of time. Right. right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, uh, so it is just it takes some pioneering people behind the scenes to think about it from all ends um, uh, and help kind of diversify what we're putting on the stages. Luckily, I think there's a lot of people out there doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's the only way to do it, right, is to kind of keep pushing content on Broadway that pushes at those boundaries, that pushes at what we think of as a Broadway player or a musical. Um, uh, and there, that's going to be trial and an error, right? Okay. Some of it is going to really fire and be massively successful, and some of it won't, right? But it takes the people um, willing to make that risk. Uh, speaking of, the, it's a limited run. Where does the show go next? Does it go on tour? What, what happens next with it? I think that's a, sort of an interesting question. Do we don't know. <laughs> sure. With with this piece, we've always been like, "What happens next?" And then something, <laughs> then something, something sort of comes yeah. up, yeah, right? right. Um, uh, I'm sure there are people definitely thinking about that right now and and working on that. Um, uh, but we don't we don't have any information about that at this moment. It's in the God's hands now. It's in the oh, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I will say what I'm looking forward to. And listen, I hope that this production of it has a life forever and ever and ever. I'm excited for it to start getting licensed. I'm excited to for high schools to start doing this, for community theaters to start doing this, for colleges to start doing, you know, like I think that there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to be really hungry for this content. And um, uh, I can't wait to kind of see how other people with even less means than we had yeah. Solve how a centaur stands up from a wheelchair, right? Right. right. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm excited eventually to get to that. Point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just thrilled there's been this kind of sea change too in terms of genre. I, I think that's something that sometimes as we look at the, what a Broadway musical has to be and this kind of aesthetic of Broadway, yeah. that there's room for 
for genre, like sci-fi and fantasy or other stories of underrepresented, you know, genres or, or people or demographics. And that's that's really exciting to maybe be a little part of that. Yeah. You said sea change. Oh, I said that's a sign of yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that's been cool, you know, we're coming to Broadway after this national tour, so the show yeah. has been in front of broader audiences for, you know, since January. And, and you know, so we've learned about the show, the cast has learned about the show, and also audiences have learned about the show. You know, we have a, um, like, we have a fantastic Twitter account, and, and someone, a, a fan set up something called Half-Bloods Helping, Hel- Helping Half-Bloods yeah. during the tour, where um, people who didn't live where the show was could still buy tickets for people who were in the cities where the show was playing so they could discover it and sponsor so you had fans buying tickets for other fans not for themselves but so other people could experience the show come on that's amazing there's not many shows that have that Mm -hmm. level of of, of, of passion and and people who you know want to like give that much so uh, so it's you know every every step of the journey um, the the audiences have surprised us and and delighted us and moved us so uh, I feel very fortunate to be uh, sitting down in Broadway for 16 weeks and seeing uh, what those audiences do next. Uh, and what's next for you guys? Well, Joe and I have Be More Chill in London, yep. which is coming up, which uh-huh. we're excited when about. Does that, when does that start? That's... So um, uh, I go over for rehearsals at the start of the new year, oh, okay. and then okay. I think we open mid to late February. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you, over the summer, you worked on a musical. You put up a musical called A Strange Loop. Which yeah. It was a big deal off yeah. Broadway. And you're doing yeah. a concert version. Did that happen already? Or Concert uh, version's coming up in a week just in a to, week. Okay. It, to celebrate the album release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the good. album is amazing. It's so <laughs> yeah, the, good. the album turned out really, really good. And what's next for that show? You know, we'll TBD. see. <laughs> TBD. 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 It's, it's again, I mean, speaking of, of challenges of producing theater, right? We were lucky and and I really found an amazing home with Playwrights Horizons yep. and uh, Page 73. It's a whole different game when you think about moving a show and it's a challenging piece. Um, uh, so there's a lot for us to figure out with the kind of minutia of that. Um, uh, but we're certainly thinking about it. Um, and you're heading off to London and... Yeah, yeah, we got yeah. Moore Chill Lennon coming cool. up. It's, yeah. And what's next for you, Rob? Uh, I'm working on two cool shows. One is about a woman trying to escape an oceanic cult called Experience Marianas. We developed that at Captain One. I write a lot about things that scare me, so yeah. I'm also working on a... I have a graphic novel rock album called Monster Songs. We're doing a big concert of that uh, at the end of the month. It's tour below, so that'll be fun. That's, and the cast is amazing. Yeah, it's oh, great. Okay. It's some, some Be More Chill folks. Mm-hmm. Some folks. Yeah, it's, nice. it's a good group of, good group of actors. Uh, what is the next YA sci-fi fantasy adventure that the three of you would like to adapt next? Ooh. Joe, tell us. I do, I do have some <laughs> ideas. <laughs> of course you do. Bring it. Yeah. Uh, wait, what did I just say to you the other day that I want to do with you? I don't remember. <laughs> There's, um, yeah. Terrible. <laughs> I, I, I love, I mean, you know, I, I continue to make adaptation the thing that really gets me excited because, you know, I when you adapt, you're thinking like a reader, you're thinking like a writer, you know, you're getting to take something in, in that in like everyone's imagination and, and and find a way to to stimulate that. So I do. I would love to work with these guys again. 
you know, people keep on asking us about when we're going to adapt the other books. It's seven years of working on the first book. <laughs> if we did that, we would, it would be 50 years before we did And All there's the three. He, Rick is writing his third series set in the world of Camp Half-Blood. Oh, God. Um, so there's like, you know, going to be like 15 books. Well, he has a whole number of series. Then he has separate series with right. like the Greek gods and the yeah, Norse the gods, Norse, right? Egyptian gods, yeah. The Norse gods, too. He's got the whole pantheon. And he's, He's doing he um there's a um he's a, 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 a imprint called Rick Riordan presents yep. uh, which is uh, um uh, getting diverse voices to tell stories about the um the, the gods and monsters from their own mythologies right. um, that's really incredible so yeah. anyone who likes um, Percy Jackson should check those out right. or wait for the musical album. or yeah exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right uh, thanks guys thanks for thank being you. here thank you so yep. much thank, thank you. That was Stephen Brackett, Rob Brokicki, and Joe Trace, the co-creators of The Lightning Thief, the new musical now playing at Broadway's Long Acre Theater through January 5th. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, I'd love it if you could rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. It'd be a big help. Or tell a friend about us. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.